Thank you. I could hear that chord resolve and knew that was my moment. We've gathered to worship the Lord. This morning, the call to worship, usually a scripture text that I'll take to kind of set our uh, focus for the day. I've chosen Psalm 103. We reflect upon the good work of God, and I've said it responsively. So let's, I'll read and you respond. Let's prepare our hearts to worship. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our first hymn for this morning is number 492. Stand as you're able and let's sing, Come, Thou Almighty King. Amen. And have a seat if you would. Thank you. It's always a joy to welcome you to worship here. We've gathered in in one space this morning. Those of you who are on site have braved the snow and made it here. We're glad to be together. And for those of you who join us across the internet where the live stream are recorded, thank you for letting us take this moment and make it available for you to participate in right where you are. I'm always thankful and amazed to hear from folks in various places um, of how they're able to join in and be a part of things here. Uh, For this morning, we'll keep with our usual routine after this service. We're happy to join with folks and have a time of coffee fellowship, a chance for some goodies and conversation, get to know one another. About 10.30, I will kick off a 
kind of open Q&A, a chance for folks to um, interact with me directly, say, well, what did you mean by that? And we clear things up and good stuff like that. Um, a couple of things I want to highlight. One is this, uh, let's touch the Honduras mission strip. Thank you very much. Here are our slides. Uh, come. This will be an event in June where we send some folks to Honduras for a work trip, but the deadline is coming up. It takes some training and some equipping. Uh, the 29th, as I understand, will be the deadline for that, so make sure you're available to it. There's some great things you're going to hear over the next weeks about celebration and missions along with that Honduras missions trip. David Steenweik, one of our middle schoolers, will be heading to South Africa. Ruth Komposik, a high schooler that worships with us, heads to Spain this summer. So, Part of the work of God moving in a congregation is people head out. Good things happening there. That happens as we pray. I'm thankful that we had a lot of people sign up from the Thursday evening celebration in form. All you had to do is click the link, send us your email, and we'll have Scotty Smith send to you by email his daily prayers. And it's a great way to kind of structure your life and learn to pray founded on grace. You'll find that link in the um, uh, celebration in form. This Wednesday, we all have a chance to serve in ministry together. And the ministry we're asking you to do is to come and eat for a community night, a dinner, and then support our GEMS and Cadets leaders. They'll give you a game to play at a table and the kids will move from one to another. You'll get to play games with kids. We call that serving. Can you believe we get to do this? Meredith, why don't you just stand up? She's your key sign-up, folks. Most of you know Meredith, um, wearing the gym shirt. If you'd like to come to dinner and then just be of help, um, no special training, no special threat or danger. There are kids. So there's good things happening with that. Be a part of things. Um, our online connect card, I always want to point to, text the word CONNECT to that phone number, and we'll send you a form to fill out. I'm going to ask my wife, Mary Lynn, to just give us a brief touch on some of the things related to our women's ministry. Good morning. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm part of the women's ministry uh, team, and we want to make sure that you're aware of some upcoming events and how to find out about them um, this year. February 11th, we're going snowshoeing from 1 to 3 at Pigeon Creek. Um, and I believe they rent snowshoes if you don't have them. Uh, March 3rd and 4th, we have a group that's attending the IF gathering, IF, IF gathering at Engedi Church. It's a nationwide um, women's conference. And um, rather than host it at our church, we are um, joining with them. Uh, we also have many other scheduled things throughout the year for women. And uh, you can find out about these events by going to the Harderwike Women's Ministry page. Uh, we also have a Facebook page and by looking at Harder Wike's website under events or looking at the women's poster, ministry posters throughout the building. You can also talk to me or April Kuykenveld 
uh, who's in charge of women's ministry. I do want to give you a heads up. Uh, Joyce Cortman and I are hosting a women's garden tea party on June 3rd at her home, and we're going to probably have it at 3 to 5. You'll have to keep um, looking for details. That's a long way off, I know, but I did want to let you know and invite you. We had a tea party at my house this year, and it was uh, very, very fun. And But she has a beautiful garden, so we're going we're gonna to do something different this year. So ask me if you have any questions, but I hope you can uh, come to some of the events. Thank you. Very good. That's what I always do when I'm wondering what's happening for women. I just talk with Mary Lynn. So I'm glad for you to have a, a face and an opportunity with that. Each of those become opportunities for folks to be together and to get to know one another. And sharing life in a variety of different ways is always the first step to taking the next step in life together. You can bring a friend in a very non-threatening uh, kind of environment and setting. They get to know folks. We build and welcome well. Um, I want to move us now to our confession of faith. We've been using the Apostles' Creed, and each week I take just a moment to kind of teach on that, some of the things. I've talked about how the church is universal across time and cultures. I laughed last week about the getting the right words. We're using the CRC uh, version, if you will. It varies a bit. This morning, before we confess, I want to point to a line in the confession that uh, people often and ask me about. It says, and we'll say together today, that Jesus descended to hell. What does that mean? Here's the deal, uh, as I see it. What we're saying there is actually translated from Latin, and it's easy to lose the distinction of the Bible in the process of that translation. So I always want to go back to the scripture. It's this, namely that after a person dies, we're a little hazy about all the details. What happens? What does it feel like? What's the nature of this? How long? All these kind of things. There's some things we do know and some things we don't. Overall, I believe the Bible points to a state of final and eternal judgment, as well as a sort of intermediate state. We die and then there's more. The Greek shows this clearly. The final judgment, that's Gehenna. The intermediate state is Sheol, or Sheol in Hebrew and Hades in Greek. Well, the creed, you'll hear folks often in their translation point to that. They'll say, he descended into Hades. And they were trying to make clear that it's not that he entered into the final eternal lake of fire judgment as much as met us after death, entered what we do after death. Here's the gospel in this. I believe that the scriptures teach us that there is a transcendent aspect to human life. That being a human is more than just about biology or physics. There's a mystery. It, it's spiritual, if you will. It's beyond us. I talk a lot about how we tend to live now in the imminent frame, you know, cause and effect measure this, do that. The scripture says there is more to being human than simply that level. We see it with human birth. 
birth, there's more to it than just the biology of a mom and a dad. There's something deeper and mysterious. Throughout our life, there's this aspect or dimension to human life that's more than just purely physical. It's beyond us and transcendent. What the creed reminds us of is that there's more to death for humans than just the end of a heartbeat or a brainwave. I've been with a number of folks in that moment, and you can measure all that. You see the brainwave stops, you see the heartbeat stops, you recognize there's no breathing. That's an aspect of death, but it's not all of death. There's something transcendent about that moment. There's something spiritual, something beyond just what we can measure. And what the creed tells us is that Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, entered that on our behalf. We may not be exactly sure about every detail. We may have some things we know, some things we don't. But I want to tell you, whatever the details are, God the Son, His name is Jesus, He entered into that and He rescued us from within it. Death is conquered by the risen Jesus. And that's a statement about more than just brain waves or heartbeats. You see that transcendent, that spiritual aspect of things. So when we confess our faith with that, whatever we don't know, this we do, that God himself has entered into every aspect of human experience and need, and he has rescued us in that. Let's stand and confess our faith using this historical expression of the faith, the Apostles' Creed, shall we? Together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, that is, the true Christian Church of all times and places, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And amen. Let's remain standing and we'll sing together. It's hymn number 559, 10,000 reasons to give the Lord praise. After this, we'll have the kids in the video, but let's sing to God's glory.
I'll ask the adults to go ahead and have a seat. But for our kids, why don't you come down and join me here on this first pew. Miss Janet is going to bring some folks. And we'll have a seat here and uh, have the video together that kind of goes through the scripture that I'll be referring to in our text this morning. Well, good morning, folks. Why don't you have a seat right here? Thank you. Yeah, that way we can see you in that bright orange. It's all good. Here we go. I need that drum In the northern kingdom, Israel, the people continued to turn their backs on God. So God allowed them to be taken prisoner by the nearby country of Assyria. Meanwhile, in the southern kingdom, Judah, there was a new king named Hezekiah, who was only 25 years old. Hezekiah followed God's ways, removing the idols to false gods. God helped him be successful in all he did. The king of Assyria, who had recently taken over Israel, sent one of his commanders to threaten Hezekiah telling him that God would not protect Judah from Assyria's attack. So Hezekiah went to a prophet named Isaiah for help. Isaiah was a man who God had spoken through many times. Isaiah assured Hezekiah that God would help them defeat the Assyrians. Late that night, the angel of the Lord went through the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 people. The next morning, the remaining Assyrians retreated, terrified. Soon after, Isaiah reminded the Israelites that they were to follow God in all they did. But the people turned away from God again and again, and things continued to get worse for them as a nation. Despite their disobedience, God delivered a promise through Isaiah that a new king and a new kingdom was coming for the Israelites. Isaiah spoke of a man who would one day be rejected by those around him and suffer a terrible death. But somehow, through his death, this man would bring peace and a kingdom that would never end. All right, we're reading through the Bible, and this is a time that we call the histories. You see the history of God's people, Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms. And you see some good kings, some bad kings. You see some dangerous times. You see some hopeful times. It's the big thing I want each of you to realize is that God, who is wonderful and holy and sovereign, is always at work even in our broken, confused lives. There's an upper story and a lower story. Let me pray for you and then I'll send you off. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us that you've made yourself known to us. Help us to grow in that knowledge. Be with these kids and all who gather with our children's ministry uh, today and through the week. Guide them into the fullness of your image that they might know and bear fruit to your glory. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, team, we'll send you off and off we go. There goes some energy. Before we um, turn to the Lord in prayer, I want to take another moment. There's a couple of things I knew I needed to to do today along the way in terms of casting vision to the next things. Y'all need to move on to the next slide. After that will be great. Um, And I want to talk about a part of our worship. Um... 
you click the last slide after the video, the slide right to the right of it on the thing. Thank you. There we go. Um, there's so many ways I can blow things up on a Sunday. But you remember before COVID, we would often pass the plate to receive the offering. A lot of folks are accustomed to that as part of worship. Um, I want to think some out loud together about that, or at least let you hear my heart and some of my thinking. There's some very positive aspects to passing that plate like that. It makes our stewardship an act of worship. It's a great teaching moment for our kids to see what we value and how we invest in that. Um, I'm always glad to involve the congregation in the service, doing different things just like that. And so there's the positives. But just like many things have both a negative and a positive, there's a downside to passing the plate. And I want to think about that as well. Now, for those of us committed to the work of God here at Hardawike, there really isn't much of a downside. We're here. We're a part of this. We're committed. But for others, visitors, people wondering about God, or people maybe interested in God but wondering about church, for them, it's a very different story. I was amazed when I was out of ministry for a while and working in the IT world. Many of my coworkers assumed I would be anxious to get back in ministry so I could get rich. I never could explain to them that I made more money doing that. But for many people outside, that's their reality. That church, they seem to be nice, but they want money for their organization. They want money for them. And there's sadly lots of examples of that. So if that's our reality, passing the plate has some positives, have some negatives. I want to think out loud about the what and the why. The what is that, at least for the foreseeable future, I'm going to not usually pass the offering plate in worship service. We've done that once or twice before when we had a guest in or something like that. Um, but I'm not going to regularly pass the offering plate. And here's the why. It's because I really think God is bringing us into a season where we want to be committed to welcoming visitors well. You can invite people and you're going to be well aware that we won't even raise the question about money. The plate won't go by. You know, sometimes, and I've been a visitor in a church where I just didn't have any cash. I was worshiping at churches when I was unemployed and didn't have any money. And that plate would go by and you'd wonder who's watching. We're going to take that question off the table. We want folks who come and worship with us for a first time, who come and consider the gospel, those sorts of things. We want it to be possible for them to observe, listen, and participate first. We'll all want to be able to say hello and ask, what's your name? What's your story? Have I met you before? We want to do that before we present them with an offering plate. So that's the, the what. I won't be doing it. And, and that's also the why, so we can welcome people well. Um, when we have people over for dinner, we welcome them and care for them. And sometimes they'll leave a bottle of um, grape juice or something for the dinner and the time. You understand. 
But for this moment, as we welcome well, that's what I want to do. There's two consequences to this that I see right up. First, if you're committed to the work of God here at Celebration Hardwike, I'm going to need to ask you to be responsible and committed with your stewardship. There are bills to pay. We all know that. I'm thankful for the way God has provided through you through the most amazing of times with COVID and elsewhere. But ministry is continuing. And so we certainly have need for that. So please be responsible. Um, There's opportunities with online giving. We keep plates at the back. We're going to actually make a nicer um, giving box that's crafted and beautiful and secure. So we'll be doing that. And you will hear me talk regularly about the opportunity to partner with what God is doing. One of the ways you do that is with support, um, sending people in missions, getting the equipment, getting the staff, all these things to make the gospel clear. So first, please uh, be responsible, but secondly, invite people. And as others invite people, welcome them. Let's put the Great Commission in our time and in our place first. It's a faithfulness to the Great Commission and His call, and in that, we're going to trust God to lead us into the future. So I hope that makes a sense in, in kind of where we're going. Not many people have come up to me and say, boy, pastor, we really need to pass that plate. I miss that. And like I say, there's pluses, there's minuses. That's kind of my thinking. That's what brings us here. I'm much more committed to making the gospel clear, to welcoming people well, and giving people open doors to partnership, whether it's serving with gems on Wednesday night, whether it's being a part of our women's ministry, whatever the step is. So let's turn now to the Lord and pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that for all the challenges of life in this broken and confused world, that you are there and you are not silent. That you've spoken to us in the written word of the scripture. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take that and enliven it to our hearts and minds that we hear you, Holy Spirit, as we study and speak with one another, the community of faith seeking you. Thank you that in the place of prayer, you've committed to meeting us and guiding us, challenging us sometimes, encouraging us others, leading us always. We continue to pray for Hardawike. Thank you that you've guided us now across a century and through amazing times. We've been faithful to your gospel through two world wars. We've been faithful to your gospel through a recent pandemic. We want to be faithful to your gospel for the world to see and find hope, even in this moment. So continue to guide and bless. We we thank you that faithfulness at the very deepest root is a gift that you give. So pour out your Holy Spirit draw us to yourself. We pray right now for Pastor Aaron, who will be bringing your word to the community of Watershed, and for Pastor JB at Fusion, for Pastor Florencio, who will be standing right here and in the Spanish language, making Jesus clear to his people in just a few hours. Thank you for the good news that shapes and guides who we are and what we do. Father, you've called us as celebration, a particular group of people Bind us together in love and encouragement and relationship. I'm going to ask you now to pray. This will be a season of prayer. Just in the silence of your heart, pray now, if you would, for those you know who are sick or recovering 
or being treated. Let's pray where there's physical, emotional, spiritual needs for healing. Father, Michigan winters are long. The world presses hard. It's easy to feel isolated and alone and then inside our own hearts to hear words of discouragement, to dwell on the brokenness that we've experienced or done to others. So I pray right now that you speak deeply to hearts, words of your encouragement. We pray for others who need a word of encouragement as well. Father, we thank you that the church is a unique organization in that we exist at the calling of another one, that's you, and we exist for the purpose of another one, that's those who are outside our com community. So work in us that we might serve to your glory and to the benefit of others. We pray in our regular prayer for authority for the Hardwick leadership teams for our council as they serve and meet and pray and discuss, for our staff as they implement, uh, for various teachers and leaders in various ways, both uh, paid and unpaid. Um, we ask, Father, that you grant us the gift of godly leadership that we might move through these times in the light of your word. Father, I thank you for human life on this Sunday, of all Sundays. I thank you that there's a transcendent dimension to human life, that because of what Jesus did at the cross, who he is, all that means, because of the gospel, we see birth different, we see life differently, and we see death differently. That each human being will ever meet has been stamped with the image of their creator, and you've called us to make the offer of your grace through adoption to them. Make us a part of that. May the world see in the way that we love our enemies, just as Jesus taught us, as we serve those who can't pay us back, just as Jesus did, as we speak and advocate for those who are unable to do it for themselves, as we remain faithful and centered on you when others might turn away. May our lives show not our own goodness or ability, but what goodness we may have, what ability we may have, consecrated, dedicated, committed to you, so that people might know you. Thank you for the word that goes out through your missionaries. I pay, pray this day specifically for Pastor Tony and Carissa Lara as they serve the CRC Church in El Paso inundated with um, people crossing the border right now in a complex situation, caring for people with desperate needs. Father, thank you that you reach us, and I'll use the words of Scotty Smith in closing here. You invite us and you welcome us by your grace, to your grace, that wherever we start, even when we're angry, like Jonah was in the Bible, even when we're disillusioned, like Job was in the Bible, even when we're fearful, like Elijah was in the Bible, even when we doubt you, like John the Baptist was 
in the Bible. Even when we're more beastly than human, like Asaph was in Psalm 73, even when we're despairing of life, like Paul, he writes about that in 2 Corinthians, thank you that you welcome us and you meet us right there with a hope and a peace and a joy that comes to us from outside ourselves, from you. Jesus, those who are weary, and that's us, find rest in you long before the day when you'll make all things new. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that we rest in your grace, not in our understanding. For your grace is beyond even that. Father, teach us to pray as your people. Hear one heart and one voice, the fullness of your grace and kindness, as we pray the words that Jesus taught us, saying this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, we continue to work across the year through the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We're in a series now that's a part of the story that we're calling Kingdom Torn. Uh, one of the historical background, context to everything that we're learning here is that God's people were torn kingdom by kingdom apart. Today, I want to look at a portion of that, and I'll look at um, what I'm calling finding hope in the tumult. I'll focus on 2 Kings 19 and the prayer of Hezekiah, but there's a larger context, and we read that. If you're reading through the story, we would have read chapter 16. It's called the beginning of the end, and it has texts from 2 Kings as well as from Isaiah. And so we'll see the end of the northern kingdom. We'll see one of the few really good kings in all of the king kingdom. It's King Hezekiah. And we'll also meet a bit of the prophet Isaiah. So a lot of interesting stuff going on here today. One of the key themes that runs through this has to do with idolatry. And idolatry, we see it occur in the Bible. It's the worship and service of things that don't deserve such worship and service. It controls your life. You worship it. You please it. Now, that took a particular form, the Baals and the Ashtaroths in that time, but it still challenges us. Idols of the heart. And I tell folks, idols of the heart are when we are living with priorities out of order. What do I mean by that? I mean, when we take a good thing and we begin to live as if it was the ultimate thing, our priorities are out of order. Is it a good thing to root for the Detroit Lions? See, I've given up on the Saints. Let's go back to the Lions. Well, you live with hope, but you can take the Lions. What's more important, the Detroit Lions in their season or your marriage if you're married? And yet, if you make the Detroit Lions more important than your marriage, you're living with disordered priorities. And in that way, the heart is functioning with an idolatry. Well, from Detroit Lions to marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Sometimes people will so pursue lack of conflict in marriage, I want to avoid that, that they'll avoid important issues with Jesus. What's more important to you? Jesus, who he is and what he's called to be, or getting what you want out of your marriage? That's a painful example of a good thing, a marriage taking precedent. That's the dynamics of idolatry, and so that's what we'll be reading about in this. Listen carefully as I read to you from uh, the book of 2 Kings, and I'll focus particularly, we'll be heading towards this prayer of Hezekiah. Hear the word of God. Now, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers of the king of Assyria, and he read it. When he saw that letter, he then went up to the temple of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Here's prayer. (laughs) Excuse me. Lord. Notice, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the name of God. He's not thinking generic divinity. He's got a particular God in mind. Lord, the God of Israel, Enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib, his commander, has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they actually were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Then Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I, and if you diagram that sentence, I is a pronoun that refers not to Isaiah, not to Hezekiah, but to the Lord. You've got to have a world where God can speak. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And then follow 12 verses of prophetic words and they conclude with this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Israel. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return and he will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I, and who's speaking there? The Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in the camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this is like real life. There are kings and there are uh, national security issues and there are armies and there are dead soldiers and you're in the midst of it. Help us to see the marvelous way that you, 
the sovereign, loving, triune God, enter in and make yourself known through broken people in the midst of all of this. Thank you that these events were faithfully recorded centuries ago. Thank you that these texts have been amazingly preserved so that now in your grace we can um, translate them, read, study, meditate, pray, consider. And here you'll meet us and speak to us and guide our lives. Do that this day, we ask. Fill us with a great hope. We thank you for your kindness and pray in Jesus' marvelous and mighty name as all God's people said together. Amen and amen. Well, there is hope in the tumult. One of the things, and we could dwell on it for quite a while, is to dig into the tumult of that moment, even as we could as well the tumult of our own moment. But there was hope there. The first thing you've got to realize is that the story, the story of God at work to redeem and rescue his creation continues even as the characters change. Once there was a tribal family, then there was a, a nation made up of many large family groups, then there was a unified kingdom, and then a divided kingdom. The characters change, it proceeds over time. But the story, the story of a God who would create and then rescue his broken creation, that continues. You've got to keep mindful of that big story, even as you look at the flesh and blood crazy story in which he's making it known. Now, part of the tumult of this time occurred in 2 Kings 17. We didn't read the whole thing. I'll just touch a bit of it. But basically, it's the end of the northern kingdom of Israel. And it's not like they just said, oh, you know, we're tired of being a kingdom. We're going to disappear. No, they were crushed, pillaged, destroyed, carried off in brutal, brutal ways. Uh, listen to this. I'll start at 2 Kings 17, verse 5. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land. He marched against Samaria, their biggest city, and he laid siege to it for three years. No food? Three years. Finally, the city fell, and the Assyrians deported the Israelites to Assyria. Verse 7, all this took place because... Now, what does because tell you? It tells you that the scripture is going to give you an understanding of why that pillaging happened. So we want to listen. Why would such a thing happen? It happened. It took place because, here's what the scripture says, the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh the king. They worshiped other gods. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. Goes on to verse 12. They worshiped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah as well through all his prophets and seers saying, turn from your evil ways, but they would not listen. They were as stiff-necked as their ancestors. All this took place because, not because they were a weak nation. The northern kingdom was much stronger than the southern kingdom. But they fell and were pillaged. All this took place not because they had incompetent generals 
or lacked a particular technology or had a struggling economy. All this took place, it says, because of their idolatry. I want to tell you one of the painful things that I conclude from this is that no national security policy can undo the cascade of consequences of idolatry. Boy, let that one ring. Well, if only they'd had our weapons. Oh, no. It says they fell because of idolatry. Oh, if they'd had a good peace treaty and a United Nations like we'd... No. The Bible is saying it was because of idolatry. It was not technology. It was not history. It was not economy. All those things get messed up when there's idolatry. And certainly the Assyrians were a wicked people. But friends, look at history. Their idolatry would cascade upon them and they are gone from the map of history. There is no defense policy. There is no national security policy that can take care of the consequences and the cascade of consequences that comes from idolatry. In 2 Kings 17, it looks like the story is over for the people of the northern kingdom. They're carried off. But I want to tell you something. Remember that upper story because God had different plans. We see those plans as we view the world through the gospel. Right now, in this moment, Israel, the northern kingdom, is being pillaged, carried off by fish hooks, it says, dying, spread out among the people. It would take some time, but there would come a time when God himself would walk through that neighborhood. God himself would walk through that land and present them the gospel. How does that happen? It's in John. Do you remember Jesus goes through Samaria? That's the northern kingdom of Israel. Do you remember Jesus meets a woman who is scorned, cast to the outside, and he begins to share with her the hope of God. Oh yes, even though Israel is carried off and there's tumult, God always reaches out to them, always desires for them to come to him. Take centuries, it'd be a heartbreak, it'd be tough, but it would be there. Now, we see in the scripture, again, as we read the story, Hezekiah comes next, and he's a good king of the southern kingdom. There were 39 different kings of these two kingdoms. Eight of them started off well. Only five started, ended well. Five out of 39. Not much hope placed in government. But Hezekiah was one of those. It says that he began to reign in the southern kingdom of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. And I want to point out to you, this is an early example of the biblical practice of what we call here Dutch bingo. We know his family. He's one of us. 
But more than that, he's a good and kind king. Listen to what he did. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. What you see is that what marked Hezekiah's reign was an attempt to put idolatry away. And I want to just point this one thing out in passing. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. What is that about? Friends, there's a story in Numbers 21 recording a time that Israel was uh, under attack, in a sense, by snakes. It was an awful time, and God gave them a symbol, this bronze snake. Hold up, look, and you'll be um, safe. The scripture goes on to say that that was a precursor. It was a shadow of the cross that was to come. But notice here, he had to pull down something that was good because it had become something that they worshiped. Are there things that are good in your life that are reminders of God's goodness to you that suddenly become more important to you than God? Do you love the gifts of God, the blessings of serving him, or do you love him more? I'm thankful and blessed to serve God, but the minute I love his blessings more than I love the blesser is the minute I need a Hezekiah moment in my life that'll pull that down. Well, Hezekiah presses back against the rot of idolatry. And you'll see in the coming verses, and I have them in the outline, several things that are part of this navigating the tumult. But I want to jump right ahead, if I can. Yeah, when good reminders become idols, Hezekiah will pull it down. We need to be ruthless, even things that were good and that God used. If they take an inappropriate priority or place in our lives, we need to be done with them. Hezekiah tries to make peace when the Syrians come to conquer him. Uh, You're going to read that. He says, I will pay the price for peace. He gives gold to the Assyrians. Just as in Romans 12, it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. But you know, sometimes the other party doesn't want peace. And that brought Hezekiah to a decisive moment in his life. That's the text that I read for this morning. And I want to end with, it brought Isaiah to his prayer. He'd made an attempt at peace. Sennacherib wouldn't um, work with it. When he was, Hezekiah was threatened again, he called uh, Isaiah, got good counsel, prayed. But there came a moment when Hezekiah himself had to go to the Lord. I want to tell you something, and I hope you are eagerly disciplined, powerfully pursuing the life of prayer, because my own experience in my life and observation worshiping people and seeing here in the Scripture is that there will come moments where you just need to hear from the Lord. And you need to have cultivated a heart that hears, a heart that discerns, a heart that's willing to obey. You need to go to the Lord. Mary Lynn and I have made some decisive decisions in the course of our our life, and we always made those together. 
But we look back and see how even making those together, they would impact other people. Hezekiah was making decisions that impacted other people. Every dad knows what it's like to try to make real-time decisions, and you never have enough information. In those moments, even with your structures and wisdom that you can find, you need to hear from the Lord. And so it is, I want to pick up on a section. I'm looking to you. Hezekiah prays. This is when you've had to step beyond your counselors, beyond the circumstances and your resources. And I need to press on, press in, press up to see the living God. Let's look through Isaiah, I'm sorry, Hezekiah's prayer here. The first thing I observe is that he prays to the Lord. Did you hear that in the text? He prays to Yahweh, the Lord who made himself to Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who David knew. He prays to a specific God. This is not some general spirituality. This is a God of specific character. It's not just a cafeteria faith divinity of our own. Well, I like this God and I like that aspect, but I don't like this, so I'm going to make up a God of my own. No. It's not our choosing, our making. It's what has he made known to us? What have we pressed in to get to know, to respond to? He prays to the Lord. Second, really important thing, this God is transcendent. It's amazing to me. He prays, Lord, the God of Israel, there's the specific, specific God, you are enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. He's transcendent, and yet he's very involved in his world. That's because he's the creator. He's the God of Israel, but he's also the ruler over all nations. Who is God in Iran? Yahweh. Now, there's a rebellion going on, and they're worshiping Allah right now. But do you see that difference? The only real God, the Scripture teaches us, is the Lord God. Anything else is out of order with creation. It's going to have consequences. Is broken, will lead to death. Hezekiah prays to the Lord, the transcendent God who is yet king of nations. And he points out that the real issue here for Sennacherib, it's not just Sennacherib attacking Hezekiah and the southern kingdom of Judah. It's Sennacherib out of order with the Lord. He ridicules you. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, Hezekiah prays. He sent these words to ridicule the living God. Um, Hezekiah is able to pray with a, a vision of truth, an understanding of the world in which he's living in. There is truth. It is true, Lord, that these Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. Boy, that's an understatement. If you ever read how Assyria treated the nations they conquered, it's more like ISIS in our time than anything we've typically experienced or seen. The kind of death and destruction. Oh, it's true. Those Assyrians have thrown the gods of other nations into the fire and destroyed them. You see, Hezekiah understands the destruction, but he also knows that these other gods 
are not like the Lord. Those gods are false. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Then it's interesting to me, Hezekiah prays, Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, from Sennacherib's hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, the Lord, are God. I spent the week kind of praying and meditating through this prayer. Those things stood out to me. But one of the things that also stood out to me, rescue us for your fame, was that there were some things that Hezekiah did not pray. He did not pray, oh Lord, rescue us because we deserve it. He never adds up his abilities or goodness and tries to make God owe him. In fact, Hezekiah doesn't even have a lot of faith in his faith. He's not praying, Lord, rescue us because I have a prayer that you must answer. Have you ever heard those kind of prayers? They're out there. They're out there. All Hezekiah knew to do as he pulled down the idols of his life in the decisive moment of his life was to go to the Lord. He could not determine the outcome. Now, we see the outcome. It turns to be wonderful and beautiful. The Assyrians lose 185,000 soldiers. They head back. But let's hold that for a moment. He pursues the Lord, and there's a wonderful outcome. And let's go ahead in history, about 60 to 80 years. The prophet Jeremiah will find himself in the same southern kingdom of Judah, once ruled by Hezekiah, now through a series of lesser kings. And he will pray for Judah, and the Lord will say to him, let me read to you, Jeremiah 7, 16. Do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. You see, there is no formula that you can pray to get God to do, you, do for you what you want. Don't go to Hezekiah's prayer and say, oh, if I pray that way, then I get what I want. It's not like that. Like Hezekiah, go to the Lord and he will do amazing and wonderful things. Sometimes that amazement will be taking care of your enemies. Other times it'll be caring for you through the most difficult of circumstances. 60 years after Hezekiah's prayer, God says not once, not twice, but three times, don't pray for these people. He cared for his people as he took them into Babylon, into captivity. What I want you to see in Hezekiah's prayer is that even as he lived his life for God, in the critical moment of his life, he came to the Lord in prayer. And that's what he did. The Lord gave the answer. In this case, it was wonderful. Other times, it would be less than I would want or desire. I want to tell you something, friends. God is worthy of our trust and praise. Sometimes our circumstances are hard to navigate. There's a uniquely American and non-Christian way to pray. It stands in stark contrast to what we see in Hezekiah in the Bible here. When prayer is something you do, and you do it to help you get what you want, you're praying differently than Hezekiah or the Bible here. When prayer is up to you, here's what you do to get what you want, you need to step back and ask, 
It's been interesting. You can go back to the 50s and read The Power of Positive Thinking. A Reformed Church. Think and shape your world. 2015, Joel Osteen, the book, The Best Life Now. As if you can determine what that is. The current moment, I don't know if you're uh, coming across friends or family members, Oprah Winfrey's The Life You Want class, How to Manifest Anything You Desire. Yes, that even includes love and money. Hezekiah couldn't connect to the Lord and demand what he wanted. He connected to the Lord and found more than he could ever ask or imagine. But sometimes God in his grace has other plans than you might know or understand. Trust him. Hezekiah did. Prayer is about seeking the living God and joining, committing to, accepting what he is doing in your world and in your life. Sometimes it's an amazing and wonderful answer. I've got lists of those from my own life. Sometimes it's to face what I would not imagine I could ever face, but I find a deeper walk with God there. The scripture calls us to that big and broad vision to understand. This is how God is at work in Hezekiah. Seek him and he will be found by you. And in him, whether it's a blessing beyond your ability to imagine or whether it's grace to walk through the hardest circumstance you ever imagined, God is good. He is at work. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for your people and for our hearts as we hear this. I thank you that you have grace for broken people. That's why we're here. And I thank you that you are good and that you call us to pray and to seek your face and that there are moments where in your sovereign majesty, you will grant us more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. I've seen that in my own life. We see it in Hezekiah's life right here, right now in this text. But there's also been times that I've called out to you and I've seen things go differently than I would have wished. Thank you that even in the midst of those circumstances, you shaped and guided my life. I pray for those right now who are struggling, that we might be instruments of grace in their life, but most of all that you would speak, beloved daughter, beloved son, to their hearts. I thank you that for several of us, many of us perhaps, there are amazing things just waiting to happen. Again, about your fame, not our convenience. Teach us to pray to a living God and to trust you. Deliver us from the sense that prayer is a technique that we use to get from you what we want. Help us to know you as Father, beloved Abba. Now, Lord, we face a broken world, and yet you've given us good news. Work that into our lives, and then make us instruments of that in so many different ways where you take us. We would say to your glory, lead on, O great King. Lead us to be instruments of your grace, regardless of circumstances. Help us rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who mourn all because we're deeply rooted in the security that comes from the gospel of your grace. These things we pray in Jesus' marvelous and mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. 
Friends, hymn number 328, Lead on, O King Eternal. Let us stand and sing to the glory of God. Let me remind you before I give you the benediction, Meredith will be able to talk with you about the gym's opportunity this Wednesday. Uh, we go out to serve in a variety of different ways. And here's the blessing of our God. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen? And amen. And our postlude.